Well, good morning. I want to give a big thanks to everybody who was involved with the Trunk or Treat last night. We had a great crowd. I don't have a preacher's count for you this morning. I'll say 300. We had 300 there last night. How about that? We had a lot of folks. It was great. We had folks, uh, a lot of guests uh, that uh, we got to, to get acquainted with and reacquainted with, uh, some who have been here in the past. And uh, we've got some pictures I wanted to share with you this morning, but it was too quick of a turnaround, so I couldn't quite pull that together. But if you follow us on Facebook, you'll see Orrin has already put uh, several pictures up, and maybe we can share some more of those uh, throughout the week by email or, or some ways. Really, really cute stuff. We were able to uh, turn over the socks that uh, you've helped us collect uh, to the van. Mandy Akins was here last night with uh, the van, and uh, so she took those and was overwhelmed by uh, the response of your giving. And uh, the kids were able to take those out and deposit those in her, in her van area there. And they were able to sign their name on the van. So their names are all over uh, the, the city today. So as that van goes out and, and distributes those socks uh, to our homeless neighbors. So a uh, really fun evening. And I appreciate everybody. And I know so many were involved. But I would say Allison is the tip of the spear, so we certainly appreciate uh, Allison for kind of pulling all of this together and everybody who helped uh, in the kitchen and decorating and, and keeping the kids uh, entertained with the games. So really appreciate all of the, uh, the efforts and the, the fun that you were able to, to bring and share with our summer's kids. You know, what we call the Lord's Prayer is probably one of the most quoted passages in the Bible. You may argue that, but I think we probably agree with that. Even people who don't uh, prescribe to any particular religion seem to know some aspects, some elements of what we call uh, the Lord's Prayer. And we can see in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're probably rolling this. You can close your eyes and do this right now. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hang on a second. Something didn't, that didn't sound quite right, did it? Let's see. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. Hmm. Seems like something's missing. But hey, I'm good with it. Are you good with it? I'm good with it. Jesus said He came to fulfill all righteousness. And He came to, you know, certainly to, to show us what it meant, what it looked like to fulfill God's righteousness. And His life and His teaching gives us His full picture of what it looks like, what it means to live by God's moral law. And God intended for Jesus to be this point of impact for the world. That, 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 and then through His people, the Israelites, whom He called, He intended for them to be a point of impact for the world. And so, through what we know as the law of Moses, He gave His moral code for them to follow. And one of His laws was that Every seventh day would be a Sabbath day of rest. The Sabbath day of rest. And every seven years would be a Sabbath year of rest. And after, stay with me here. I know you're, some of y'all hate math, but stay with me here. After seven Sabbath years, seven years of seven, seven times seven or 49 years, there was going to be the super duper Sabbath year, this big, huge year of jubilee in the 50th year. And during this year of jubilee, this is what would happen. Leviticus 25 and verse 39. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. 
They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released, and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors, because the Israelites are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt, and they must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. And so during the years in between each jubilee, various people, for whatever reasons, would fall into to debt. And so they would sell themselves, and sometimes entire families would sell to, to honor this debt, to pay this debt, to get out from under this debt. And in consequence, they and their families would now be in debt bondage to whomever they sold themselves to. And so during the year of jubilee, these debt slaves, often entire families now, picture this, would be set free. The doors would open and you're free to go. That's what the year of Jubilee would constitute. And so the families would would be given back uh, everything that was held of theirs. Their land would be given back to them. Their their freedom would be given back. All of their fortunes restored and complete forgiveness. Wipe the slate clean. Can you imagine that? God says, don't treat them with contempt either. You don't treat them with contempt because of the position they're in, because of what has happened to them, because of where they have found themselves. Don't treat them with contempt because of that. And so this jubilee would assure the next generation would have a clean slate. And so what a, what a wonderful idea. It was like a do-over. And so there's this one thing, though. There is no evidence in the history of Israel that they ever honored the jubilee. No evidence of that. And can you imagine? Why not? I gotta, I gotta give this back. I mean, you, you owe me that you caused this, but now I've just gotta wipe the slate clean. I mean, I can, I can understand. Here's the thing: no evidence, but in fact, there's much in the Old Testament to show that this idea of jubilee remained a dream. It remained this dream, this idea, this concept, all the way up to the time of Jesus. And so that's why it was so remarkable when Jesus stood in the synagogue. And he opened the scroll of Isaiah, began proclaiming in his beginning of his ministry here. And Luke records this in chapter 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the jubilee. So Jesus says... Now's the time. And in the person of Jesus, we experience the jubilee of God. And so we are let out of our debtor's prison. We are in debt to God because of our sinfulness, because of how we have have forsaken His law, His teachings. But now through Jesus, our fortunes are restored. And that's what the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, that's, that's what that all ensured. I mean, this is big. This is huge what he is proclaiming here. And we know that now because we can look backwards. But those listening to this, they were, they were trying to process this. They could only sense what Jesus was saying here, what might be happening. In fact, some even thought that, that what he's talking about might be still on the horizon. It's out there not quite in reach, still just a dream, just a, a hope. And yet that God might be working towards this something even bigger, this mega jubilee, this, this grumbling, this, this, this whispering that had been going on in the Israelites for a while, these Jews here, is maybe God's working on something even bigger. 
And so that's, that's what they've been thinking about. There may be a jubilee of jubilees. And they had this idea that if the jubilee was to be celebrated after seven Sabbath years, after seven of seven, then the jubilee of jubilees would go any, even further. The jubilee of jubilees would be after 70 times seven. Does that sound familiar? 70 times seven. The prophet spoke of this year of jubilees while the Israelites were in captivity, facing a hopeless situation. No way out because of their own rebellion against God. This is where they had found themselves. One generation after another under the debt of previous generations' choices, decisions, sinful actions. And so this jubilee of jubilees would be God's great zeroing out of the debt balance. And so this final, ultimate fulfillment of God's promises would not only be the end of exile, they would find themselves free of exile, but the inauguration of a new order. In fact, a new kingdom would be on the horizon. And so now Jesus stands in His hometown church, the synagogue there, and He proclaims, it's Me. It's Me. I am God's jubilee. I am the great jubilee. So what? So what? Jesus was teaching one time about forgiveness, especially when it comes to a fellow believer who has sinned against you. And so this certainly wasn't the only time that He taught this, but Matthew records a specific instance in chapter 18. And so Peter thinks about the implications of what Jesus has just said about forgiving your brother who has sinned against you. And in Matthew 18 and verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or literally 70 times seven. So what did this number represent to Peter? Peter who was a devout Jew and was raised under the law of Moses and the promises of the prophets. What did it mean to him? I think his eyes must have gotten pretty big as Jesus said this. Wait a second. 70 times 7? See, we've seen this isn't just some random number that Jesus throws out there. And by itself, it's a large number. And we look at that number and we can make a good lesson out of Jesus says, you know, hey, basically you need to forgive more times than you can keep up with. You know, and so, yeah, that's a great lesson, but there's something more. It's deeper here. It's deeper. Yeah, we need to always forgive others. Those are great lessons, but I don't think this is just some random number. God has never done anything randomly. See, this number specifically was associated with the end of exile. This number was God's apocalyptic proclamation, His intervention in the history of the world. It's the number of the Jubilee of Jubilees. And we need to to understand and see this language here to really solidify this thought. And so in 18.21, chapter 18, verse 21, Peter asked Jesus, how often must I forgive my offending brother? And the word here that Peter uses is a Hebrew word, nasah, which means you forgive someone but they still kind of owe you. I'm going to let it go for now, but you know, if, if you do something that I don't like, I'm going to bring this up again. I'm never really going to let you forget it. I'm going to kind of hold it over your head. It's still going to be there. So Peter says, how often should I forget? How often should I push this aside? And so to illustrate this point, Jesus tells a parable about a servant who owed his master some money. And the servant could 
could not repay it. It was more money than the servant could ever repay in his lifetime. And so the master forgives him of that debt, wipes it clean, and that man goes right out and finds a fellow servant who owes him effectively pocket change. And he chokes this man to try to get this money out of him and, and throws him in prison and is going to put his family in prison. And so the, the people get back to the king and they say, hey, look, that's what, look what this guy did. The one who you have forgiven so much cannot even forgive somebody else so little. When the master hears of this, he brings that man in he rebukes him for not returning the mercy that he was shown, that he was given. And he imprisons the man. And now in chapter 18 and verse 35, in, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owes. And this is how Jesus says, My heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, the word Jesus uses here, our English forgive, is not the same word that Peter asked about. This is a different word. And although it's translated into English, forgive, the root word is different. And it means that you forgive in the sense that someone owes a debt, but that debt has been paid by someone else. Effectively, you. You cancel that debt. Peter says, how, how, often, how long have I got to keep this up? How long have I got to remember this before I can come back to him and say, hey, you owe me? And Jesus says, I'll tell you how long. You, you forgive them as if you've already paid that for them. That's what forgiveness really is, Peter. So Jesus is telling Peter, don't forgive as if someone still owes you, as if there's still some wrong that needs to be righted. You forgive as if you were never wronged in the first place. Now you can scarcely argue that the core of Jesus' ministry, the core of His life was forgiveness. I mean, He came as forgiveness, to be our forgiveness. And he preached, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. He preached, if you know, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven, he would say. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And forgive and you will be forgiven. That's Jesus, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire forgiveness. I desire you to, to let up on people. My son who was lost is now found in the parable. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. So everything Jesus talks about is about forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they don't have a clue of what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They can't grasp it. And this all makes sense. Every bit of this makes sense if Jesus embodies the Jubilee. If He truly is God's Jubilee. And forgiveness, releasing those who are in debt, is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And to experience this is to have your debts forgiven. And that's what Jesus did wherever He went. Jesus brought the Jubilee. Jesus was God's Jubilee. And not just any Jubilee. He was the last, greatest, super Jubilee. He was the 70 times 7. I do not say to you up to 7 times, but up to 70 times 7. And here's what I see as extraordinary about all of this is that Jesus invites Peter. Jesus, Peter says, Lord, how much should we forgive? Oh, don't worry about it. I'm taking care of it, Peter. You just do what you can do. I'm going to do the super stuff here. No, Jesus says, I'll tell you what you do. You forgive as I forgive. As if it never happened. 
That's extraordinary. So it makes perfect sense that 70 times 7 shows up in the middle of a question about forgiveness. Because that's what it's all about. Peter asks a question about forgiveness. He's asking a jubilee question. That's what he's really asking. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? See, Peter's thinking small. Peter's thinking small. And we think small. How long have I got to put up with this? On the scale of Sabbath week. What, till, till, till the next Sabbath? Seven times, you know, maybe. Seven days. Then we move on. Jesus goes further. He goes past the Sabbath year. He goes even past the Jubilee itself. He goes to the super Jubilee, the Jubilee of Jubilees. And He says, Peter, this should be obvious. I'm not giving you just a big number. I'm not giving you something you're going to have to make hash marks on a piece of paper. Jesus isn't setting the bar higher. He's not raising the standards. Jesus is inviting Peter to become the sort of person that God wants him to become, to adopt a new identity. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Jesus is asking Peter, you be the Jubilee. You be what this was always meant to be, just as I, Peter, am the Jubilee. That's impact. That's a change of direction. That's a change of thinking. See, the Jubilee was about restoring. It was about restoration. Restoring dignity and restoring relationships. What does forgiveness do? It restores dignity. It restores relationships. See, this is who Christ is. And by implication, this is who His disciples are. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are the Jubilee. You are God's Jubilee. Forgiveness is what defines you if you are a disciple of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, I'm a disciple of Jesus, is really a disciple of Jesus. The one who looks and acts and does the will of my Father like a disciple of Jesus, he is a disciple of Jesus. Peter, how could you, how could you even ask the question, how many times? If you embody the Jubilee, if the Jubilee is who you are, then the answer is obvious. You always forgive. Why? Because you are the Jubilee. You are the Jubilee. Jesus is inviting Peter and He's inviting us as disciples to forgive as we have been forgiven. To become people of mercy, people of grace, to proclaim in our own lives the year of the Lord's favor in our relationships, how we treat other people, how we talk about other people so that we might become the Jubilee. See, that's the impact of Jesus. Not just interrupting your trajectory of life, but completely changing it. This redirects us. And the impact of Jesus on your life will, will alter your direction, but you have to decide if you'll stay on course. See, when Jesus comes into our life, especially with this kind of teaching, right now sitting in the pew, it might have, oh, it might have got you. But then I've got to make a choice when I walk out of here if I'm going to stay on that path or not. That's the challenge. Forgiveness is not easy. But it's also not impossible. It's not impossible. See, Luke recorded the same dialogue between Jesus and Peter, but from a little different perspective. And, and Luke sees this challenge to forgive as a matter of faith. He places forgiveness as a foundation of faith. And in Luke chapter 17, after Jesus drops this jubilee bomb, the apostles beg Him in verse 5, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And it seems strange. 
To me, it seems strange, but not as strange as Jesus replied. Look what Jesus said. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, obviously he was pointing to, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. So what has faith got to do with forgiveness? Why does he even talk about this in the same conversation? Well, it seems that forgiveness is a characteristic of faith in Jesus. It's an ingredient. And perhaps here, you know, when I've been a Christian a little longer, perhaps when, I, perhaps when I know the Bible a little more, perhaps if I would just be filled more with God's Spirit, then I would be a forgiving machine. So I've got to wait it out. How much does it take, Lord? How long have I got to wait? Jesus says, mustard seed. Mustard seed. How much faith did you have in Jesus when you were baptized into Christ? You had at least a mustard seed. And if I live a lifetime of ingesting the Word of God, if I live a lifetime of attending the assembly of the saints, if I live a lifetime of sharing communion for 50 years with others, I do not come one day closer to having the ability to forgive any more than I do right now today. And neither do you. Jesus says, you're not waiting on me, Peter. You're not waiting on me to empower you to forgive because I already have. I've done that. I'm waiting for you to actually do it. I'm waiting for you to make the decision. And we of all people, Christians of all people, should be willing to forgive because of how much we have been forgiven. Not Peter's forgiveness, not Nassau, not this, I'll I'll let it go this time, but I'm going to remind you of this. This is going to come up again. Anytime I'm mad at you, anytime you offend me, I'm going to bring this incident up, I'm going to bring this situation up, or any other circumstance when I think you deserve to be put in your place. Not that kind of forgiveness. No, see, we have been forgiven. We've been Jesus forgiven. We've been Salah. Our debt's been wiped clean. It's gone. Our debt's been paid by someone else. Blotted out. Forgotten. And so if we are impacted by that, if our lives are changed by that, Or if they're not, if they're not impacted, if they're not changed by that, I don't know what else is going to do it. What else is going to impact us like that? So how can we not forgive? Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Forgive us, Lord, of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, those who sin against us. Now that, that would make quite an impact. What kind of impact has it made on your life? The forgiveness that you have had through Jesus Christ. Has it changed your course? Has it changed the way you see others? And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, I'm not standing up here mouthing off some words because it's easy to just regurgitate some notes to you. I know how challenging this is. I've been sitting on it for a week before you heard it. It's hard. It's hard. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Jesus says, you've got faith of a mustard seed. And if you have it, you can do it. He didn't say it would be easy. But He said it's possible. It's possible. See, we've got to look beyond the impossible. Because with us, with mankind, 
Things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And He has made it through faith a way for us to live like Christ, to be able to forgive. But in order to do that, we have to see each other the way Jesus sees us. We have to see each other for the precious soul that we are. Because when we see that, when we look past the actions, when we look past the attitudes, when we look past the words, when we look past the hurt, and we see the soul, then we begin to understand how we can forgive. Lord, increase our faith. And this morning, perhaps you need your faith increased. Maybe this morning as we assemble together as brothers and sisters, as the family of God, we can pray for you as we pray for each other. Perhaps that the sin you've been struggling with is a sin of bitterness, sin of anger, sin of hard feelings, the sin of everything that leads from holding a grudge against someone, words that you say behind their back that are unkind, other people that you influence because of the way you feel about somebody. God calls you to repent of those too. Because see, God offers forgiveness. Jesus is forgiveness. And in order for me to be a disciple of Christ, I must forgive. And this morning, God forgives you if you will repent of that sin. If you will confess that to Him. Maybe you're not a child of God. Do you realize what Jesus has done for you? Left heaven, left the throne of heaven, the glories of heaven, and put on this body. All you got to do is go through a day on this earth and think, why would anybody you know, make a choice to go through this today? Jesus did. Jesus did for you and for me. So that He could become the righteousness of God. He could be the jubilee of God. So that as He went to the cross for you and for me, He would be the forgiveness that God could extend through Him. That's what He has done for you. And He asks you, He asks you to be part of His body. But you must die to yourself. You die to yourself and you are baptized into Christ, into His death, so that you can be raised up a new life, forgiven of your sins. And this morning, will you make that decision? It's not easy sometimes. But it is possible. And God makes it possible for you. But you've got to make the choice. And will you make that choice this morning as we stand and sing this good song?